Well, thanks for worshiping again with us today at Crossroads. Last weekend, we shared with you some of the uh, ways that we're praying and considering the things, the, the dynamics that we're dealing with as we plan to regather as a church family. We also shared with you some of the data we received from the survey that many of you participated in. We found that 60% of our church family who have responded to the survey, they're, they're ready to rejoin and, and begin regathering as a church family in person. We also found that 40% of our church family, they're, they're not ready yet. And many of them will continue worshiping online. Well, today I wanted to let you know, for those of you who are rather to regather in person, that we'll begin regathering as a church family on Sunday, June the 21st. Now we have uh, planned several different services and I wanted to let you know what those times will be. First of all, we're gonna offer two morning worship services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. at both our Newburgh campus and our West campus. We're also going to offer a Sunday evening service at 5.30 p.m. at our Newburgh campus. And this will actually be in place of the Saturday service that we have normally offered. We also wanted to let you know that because of limited capacity and also the restrictions of social distancing, we're going to ask everybody who wants to worship in person to RSVP and let us know which service you will be attending and how many will be attending with you so that we can make preparations and so that we can accommodate every person who is ready to begin worshiping in person. We want to let you know that right now there will be no children's programming offered because of the restrictions uh, due to COVID-19. We are asking that everybody who attends, we're recommending them to wear a facial covering, but we are not going to require that to worship with us. We encourage those who've been gathering online uh, to continue worship. We're going to continue providing meaningful and engaging worshipful experiences through our online campus. And also those who are currently gathering in groups, we would encourage you to continue doing that off campus so that you can continue to be the church as we continue to walk through this season together. You'll soon be receiving an email that records a lot of all these details. And you can always go to our website for more information. That's cccgo.com. We pray that as we continue to walk forward together as a church family, whether we're worshiping online in groups or in person at one of our campuses, that we would all continue to live in love like Jesus and be the church as we continue to honor him. You know, over the past several weeks, we've been looking through the gospel of John, trying to understand just who Jesus is so that we can learn how to live and love like him. You know, from the opening pages of the gospel, John has been very clear at declaring Jesus' deity, that he's fully God, that Jesus is the Messiah that was sent from God, and that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world for those of us who place our faith in his death because he died in our place for our sins. John has captured his teachings. He's captured miracles that he performed because they all reveal the character of God and the mission that was given to Jesus. By understanding just who Jesus is, we can begin to follow him, live like him, and certainly love like him. You know, John was very clear about his purpose. And he says that he wrote these things that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Today, we're going to pick up in John chapter 8, verse 12. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd encourage you to turn there or look at one of the devices you may be using. I need to connect the context of these verses that we'll read today because that'll help us have a clearer, uh, fuller understanding of, of who Jesus is and the declaration that he is going to make about himself. 
In John chapter seven, Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the three significant religious celebrations in Judaism. It was the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Andrew Bondurant did a great job a couple weeks ago, giving us some history and some facts about this celebration. The Feast of Tabernacles was a, a celebration commemorating how God had led and blessed the people of Israel while they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after leaving Egypt. During this time, God's presence has been very evident to the people of Israel. He guided them during the day with a cloud and at night he guided them with a pillar of fire. He provided manna and water in the wilderness and, and their clothes and shoes didn't wear out. He provided uh, so much for them that he led them to the promised land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It's actually where the Israelites were living when Jesus came to the earth and where we find him now in Jerusalem. Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16 instructed God's people to celebrate this festival in the fall during the time of harvest as a celebration for all the ways that God had blessed them. It was a time of joy. They were instructed to build booths or these tent-like structures and to live in those tents for seven days. It was a time of rest and they were to make sacrifices to God so that they could express their thanksgiving for all his blessings. It was called also the Feast of Booths or also the Feast of Ingathering. Andrew shared about how this festival in, involved a lot of singing and dancing. And it also fish, featured a, a specific water ritual where the priest would, would take a gold pitcher down to the pool of Siloam and he would scoop up water and then take it back to the altar and pour it out. On the seventh day, this celebration was at its climax with loud music and dancing. And all the people followed the priest like a parade down to the pool and brought back this water with him. And he poured it out at the altar. In John chapter seven, verses 38 and 39, or 37 and 38, it says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Nothing happened in the life of Jesus that was accidental or coincidental. It was all very intentional to reveal his true identity as God in the flesh so that we would have a clear picture of who God is and how to experience true life through the teachings and following Jesus. Many present in this moment where Jesus had been teaching and, and, and they saw his miracles, they expressed their faith in Jesus, but others doubted and rejected Jesus as Messiah and savior. John records that the religious leaders, they rejected Jesus and they even plotted to kill him. We looked at a trap last week that they set for Jesus involving a woman that they had caught in adultery. They questioned Jesus about stoning her. Many people feel that this moment was inserted in between Jesus' invitation to come and drink this living water that he offered and the declaration that we're going to see today in John chapter 8, verse 12. There's another part of the significance of the Feast of Tabernacles that, that I want to share with you today. In fact, uh, if you want to know more about this feast, there's a great resource. It's called Stepping Up. It's a journey through the Ascent Psalms written by Beth Moore, who's a great Bible teacher, an awesome speaker and author. Picture this scene. The city is, is full with tents. The surrounding countryside is filled with these booths, literally hundreds, uh, maybe even thousands of these small little tent-like structures for a whole week. And they're lit by these small little oil lamps. 
during the festival, four large menorahs, like four large candle abras, these big branches that, that led to bowls filled with oil were lit and they stayed lit the entire week. In fact, one of the young priest's job was to climb a ladder and to continue to keep these bowls filled with oil. The wicks of those lamps were actually made from the linen garments of the priest. And the lights would never go out. They would give light to the entire city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. It was hap- they were placed in the, the court of women in the temple. And that's where most people believe that Jesus encountered the religious leaders and this woman they had caught in adultery. And it's exactly where Jesus is teaching. You know, it's interesting that the Feast of Tabernacles was also called the Feast of Lights because this light gave and came forth from the city and it gave light to everywhere. Remember that this festival was one of the most celebratory of all the major celebrations. I kind of picture it like Christmas in our modern day world. I mean, there was lots of family gathered. There was music, dancing, feasting, lots of decorations. It was filled with joy. I've shared one of my favorite Christmas memories and and moments is, is on Christmas Eve after everybody's in bed. I like to just go and sit by our Christmas tree and just have all the lights out, but just look at the lights on the tree. I mean, all is calm, all is bright in that moment. But I may haven't shared with you my least favorite moment at Christmas. It's taking down all the decorations. Can I get an amen? I mean, remembering which box things go in, cleaning up all those little tree particles, whether you have an artificial tree or a real tree. I mean, shoving it all back in the attic. It's really helpful if you have one of those pull down staircases, like I mentioned having trouble installing a couple weeks ago. The house just feels so bare with everything gone and, and even a little bit dark. You know, where Jesus finds himself, it's the morning after the climax of this Feast of Tabernacles. All the lights have been extinguished. And that's where people are probably feeling a little emotionally let down. But Jesus makes a powerful statement, another I am statement. It's the second of seven that we'll see in the Gospel of John. I hope that you're recording these in your journal. Jesus has already said, I am the bread of life when he fed a multitude miraculously. Now in John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus makes this declaration. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light is a powerful metaphor all throughout scripture to refer to God's presence. From the beginning of creation where God said, let there be light to the pillar of fire by night where he led the people in the wilderness, the lampstand in the tabernacle and temple, God revealed himself as the source of light and life. And John connects these ideas all throughout his gospel as he referenced Jesus. In the prologue to the gospel, John says this, in him, meaning Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus' declaration is confirming that he is the Messiah. He's the promised one from God. Zechariah 14 promised that both streams of living water and continuous light would come with the Messiah. And Jesus was a fulfillment of both of them. Of course, the religious leaders, they didn't really want to accept Jesus as Messiah. And they immediately started challenging his declaration by saying, you can't make these claims about yourself. A testimony about yourself or by yourself is not valid. Listen to how Jesus responds. John chapter eight, now picking up in verse 14. Jesus answered them, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid 
For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Jesus makes powerful statements about his identity, his purpose, and his authority as the light of the world. In verse 14, he says, I know where I came from and where I'm going. You know, knowing one's origin and destiny brings confidence and courage. And Jesus had a clear picture of who he was, where he came from, and where he was headed. In verse 15 and 16, Jesus says, I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are right. Jesus' wisdom was from above. He didn't operate by human standards or according to any other directives other than the ones given to him by his father in heaven. And as we saw last week in the interactions with the woman, Jesus' identity is not judge, but merciful savior. He has the authority to judge, but offering mercy and grace is a higher calling to Jesus. And then verse 16, Jesus says, I'm not alone. I stand with the father who sent me. You know, light is associated with the Yahweh in, in Old Testament. And this statement by Jesus is best understood as saying, the father and I are one. This is a theme that's reinforced all throughout the gospel of John. And it's ultimately the stumbling block that led the religious leaders to kill him. It was obvious that Jesus was from God. He was fully God, but all people have to decide if they believe in him. Jesus says clearly, I'm capable of giving testimony about myself because I know fully who I am and so does my father. That makes two of us and that's all the law requires. They question him, not by saying, who's your daddy, but where's your daddy in verse 19. Scholars think that the religious leaders were probably poking fun at the fact that Jesus was being born of a virgin and that was just hard to accept. Or the fact that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, had, had already died by now. Or the fact that Jesus hailed from Nazareth and they understood the Messiah that was to be born in Bethlehem. The religious leaders knew the facts, but they didn't want to be confused by the facts. The religious leaders didn't uh, believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But Jesus makes a deliberate statement that challenges their spirituality when he says to them, you do not know my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. John Piper says that Jesus speaks for God and from God as God. This is uh, a complete fulfillment of John chapter one, verse 10 and 11, their rejection. When John says these words, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It echoes what John said following Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in chapter three. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and won't come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Later, John records Jesus reaffirming this truth about him being the light. In John chapter 12, verse 44, it says this, Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me, seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as light 
so that no one who believes in me would stay in darkness. Jesus told the religious leaders, you'll keep looking for the Messiah, but you'll miss the fact that I am the Messiah. And because of that, you will die in your sins. Jesus says, you'll not be in heaven. Three times in this passage, Jesus just continually reaffirms that if you don't believe in him, you will die in your sins. All of this angered the religious leaders. They judged Jesus by his appearance based on their own prejudices. To them, he was just an unschooled Galilean peasant making some extravagant claims. Their limited and biased judgments lead them to reject Jesus and even kill him. John says they didn't arrest him in this moment because Jesus' hour has not yet come. There's three statements of the nine statements so far were about this, this time for Jesus. And that is a, an indication of his death by crucifixion, which is the ultimate expression of his identity and the ultimate fulfillment of his mission as savior of the world. Jesus speaks plainly to them again in the rest of the passage we're looking at today. John chapter eight, verse 23. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is, is what he says, where I go, oh, you cannot come. But Jesus continued, you're from below and I'm from above. You're of this world and I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They ask. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I've heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Jesus clearly states again who he is and what his mission is. And those who believe in him find life through his death and resurrection. Again, that's echoing what John said in chapter one. All who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor a human's decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Believe in the light so that you can become a children of the child of the light. Jesus is confident in the power of his light that it brings to this world and to all who believe in him. And that leads me to a discussion question. I want you to, to wrestle with this idea for a little bit. If you're watching by yourself, I'd encourage you to, to journal about this or text a friend. Or maybe if you're gathering as a family or with a group, I'd encourage you to, to discuss this openly. Here's the question. Are you scared of the dark? Why or why not? And if you'll go there, I'd ask you to think about this and discuss what scares you about the things we see around us in our world. Things like sickness or racism or violence or discord. Talk about that right now.
are living in a dark time. There's sickness and death all around us. There's racism and hatred and violence. There's the, the darkness that surrounds us and, and we see the effects of sin. Now, like never before, we need the light of Jesus to shine brightly, to give us peace and direction. The declaration that Jesus is the light of the world is true. It's relevant. It's as timely today as it was back when he made this declaration that day in Jerusalem. Jesus is the light of the world and this world needs light. Every one of us needs his light. As light of the world, Jesus brings hope and direction. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. With all this darkness surrounding us, we don't have to fear or lose hope when we look at the light of Jesus. He gives us peace and hope and direction, security. I was really encouraged to see that 92% of the people who responded to the survey said that when they are in crisis, they find their hope in God. David found confidence in the light that God provided. Listen to what he says in Psalm 27, verses one through three. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life from whom I shall be afraid. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. The darkness cannot overcome the light that Jesus brings. He is true and reliable, trustworthy, strong, constant, gracious, comforting. Uh, Andy Tier is our lead for our online campus. He's a man of many talents. And he posted a poem on Facebook a couple weeks ago that I grabbed and I thought it would just really put into what Jesus is saying about himself today in a very clear picture. Listen to his words. He says, as the light comes closer, I cringe. I turn, I pull the hood of my jacket down over my head to hide my face. Feeling a hand on my shoulder, I flinch. By the weight of the touch and the roughness of the hand, I spy out of the corner of my eye. I think to myself, running would have been a better option. But instead, I slowly spin and I'm frozen. Pinned in place by two kind eyes, I realize that the light from which I tried to hide is held in the grip of a man that I need not fear. Somehow I know that he's aware that the darkness is not just around us, but it's also inside of me. But where I would expect condemnation, I sense compassion. Where I would expect to see accusation, I see acceptance. It slowly dawns on me that the light I see isn't being held in his hand, but instead radiates from within this silent man. As I stand bathed in the light, I feel something bubbling up inside of me. Every dark thought, every sinful action of my past rises to the surface of my psyche. They pull me toward the darkness that I know is just beyond the sphere of light that encloses me and the stranger that stands so silently. The light begins to work a change. My thoughts and priorities rearrange. Instead of fleeing the light, I step closer. The darkness in me melts away and every hideous thing I've done is exposed by the sun. Fully aware of the things I've done, the person I've been, the sin I'm in, the light floods in and I'm cleansed. Set free of impurities, I fall to my knees and I worship the sun, the son of God, the light that banishes evil and chases away the darkness. All living things need air, water, food, and light to survive. 
Jesus is called the breath of life. He says about himself, I am the living water. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He's the unquenchable source of God's revelation and of true life. Do you see why it's so important to understand who Jesus is and to believe in who he is? Jesus says, those who follow me will never walk in darkness. J. Vernon McGee says this, when one turns on the light, all the rats, the bats, and the bed bugs crawl away because light exposes sin. When you and I turn our eyes to following Jesus, our hearts are open and the divine light streams into our living spirits and we have the light of life. The light that comes from this new spiritual eye-opening life is the life that gives light to our blind soul. It gives eternal life, giving eternal sight. Without the light of Jesus in us, we remain in darkness and we're filled with that darkness. So we must allow the light of Christ to fill us and also to shine through us. Jesus' light is holy, it's pure. It's a reflection of God's character incarnate. And we must shine that same light. His light in us illuminates true life and gives us meaning and purpose. And that's why Jesus said in uh, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Jesus gives us the vision to see who we are and who he truly is. And only the light of the world can show us who we are and can guide us responsibly through life. We must choose to rely and reflect him. John Piper says this, following Jesus is more than just tagging along behind him. It means following him for who he is, being so taken with him that we join ourselves to him. When you and I believe in who Jesus is, we're united with him. As Savior and Lord, he, his light fills our hearts and we're satisfied with him and secure in him. And we reflect him to the world. Jesus is the light of the world. The darkness cannot overcome his light. This world needs the light of Jesus to shine brightly. And we shine his light best when we live and when we love like him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for all that Jesus is. We worship him for all that he's revealed himself to be and all he's revealed about you and who you are. And God, we're, we're, we're drawn to this light that Jesus exudes. We're, we're drawn to this light because in the light we see true love. We see true purity. We see true hope and peace. We find comfort and strength and, and security in Jesus. And God, I pray that we would all place our faith in who Jesus is as the light of the world. God, this world needs his light. Not only has Jesus come to bring light to this world, he's given us that light in us to shine brightly in a world that's so filled with darkness. And so God, I pray that we not just be informed, but we would be motivated, motivated by the light that shines in us so that that light would shine through us to a world that's so full with darkness, the darkness of sin. God, I pray that every person who's listening today would place their faith in who Jesus is as the light of the world. And God, that all of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God, would begin to reflect his light by the way that we live and by the way, lo- by the way that we love. 
And God, this world would be changed because of the light of Jesus shining brightly in us and through us. And we pray through the powerful name of Jesus to that reality. Amen.